0: it's not a physical thing. It's really you versus yourself. It's like you versus your mind and sort of weathering the ups and downs and and all the things that come with an ultra endurance event mentally. I think that's really the draw for me. That was Christian Stenner and this is episode 58 of the Inspired Souls
1: podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn and I'm a road runner. And I'm Kim. And I'm a trail runner.
2: Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Christian Stenner is a man with very diverse interests. We invited him on this podcast because I connected with him when he was running the Sinister 700 miler this summer. However, as I got to know him, I discovered ultra running is just one of the many things to which he devotes his time. Christian lives in Calgary, Alberta, with his wife and his dog. In addition to his day job, he is an officer in the Canadian Armed Forces, specializing in leadership development of youth in the Army Cadet Program. He is a search and rescue coordinator specializing in cave rescue, a fellow of the Royal Canadian Geographical Society and the Explorers Club, and is dedicated to sharing unknown parts of the world with others while contributing to citizen science. And if you aren't sure what citizen science is? keep listening this summer christian did the canada army rung sandbag edition by combining all the distances offered to run approximately 42 kilometers with a 40 pound sandbag on his shoulders in order to raise awareness and funds for soldier on although christian describes himself as a quote low performance athlete who runs and attempts to run ultra marathons with mixed success end quote one could question his meaning of success A member of the Elcher running team, he placed third in the Sinister Triple this year, completed the 2019 Lost Soul 200K, and raised $11,000 for Wellspring Calgary in the 2018 Challenge the Chief Firefighter Staircline. We don't know where he gets all his energy, but Christian Stenner is a man on a mission, and we hope he inspires you to challenge yourself, combine your passions, and help someone in the process. So Christian Stenner, welcome to the Inspired Souls podcast. It's so great to have you here.
0: Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here and to talk about running and the causes that I support.
2: Yes, that's exactly why we invited you on the podcast tonight. I know that you have some things that you're super passionate about. Besides just running. But I just wanted to give our guests a little background on how I met you, Christian. And uh, we've crossed paths a few times in the very short time that I've lived in Alberta already. Met you at the Sinister Seven race in July, where you were doing 100 miles cross paths again at the Canadian Death Race. I'm sure you're going to tell us a little bit about that. And then you even were there in the middle of the night as I was pacing my friend Heidi at the Lost Souls 100 in the middle of a rainstorm, volunteering at an aid station. So you get around, you like to run, you like to volunteer your time. And I can't wait to hear a little bit more about you. So, without further ado, why don't you just give us a little bit of background on yourself for our listeners?
0: Sure. So, yeah, you you mentioned I'm into running, and uh, you know it's interesting. I had I had a bit of a a running career earlier in life and then I went away from it and didn't even run at all for many many years and then it was 2013 that I kind of picked it up again and got really heavily into trail running and so that was around the time um, that the uh, Grizzly Ultra Marathon in Canmore had started and so I, I joined a relay team And it was a five-person relay that you could do the 50-kilometer race in. And that year, I did one leg of the relay of, I think it was like 15 kilometers. And and I was hooked. I I mean, I, I really enjoyed the trails. I enjoyed the race. I thought it was well organized. And by the next year... I had decided I'm going to do the whole 50K solo. And having never run a marathon before, I sort of skipped that and went straight into ultras. And that's, uh haven't looked back, I suppose. And I still haven't run a marathon.
1: <laughs> Kim, haven't we heard this exact over. version of again. this story yes. like before? And I find it super, super fascinating that you just, you know, it's, skip over the marathon distance right into the ultra marathon distance. So what do you think that was about? Like, what do you think it is about long endurance events that is a draw for
0: you? Yeah, that's a good question. I I think if you've trained, right, it's not a physical thing. It's, it's really you versus yourself. It's like you versus your mind. And sort of weathering the ups and downs and and all the things that come with an ultra endurance event mentally. I think that's really the draw for me is the the feeling of finishing and accomplishing and sort of not just conquering the course, but conquering your own demons mm-hmm. that that sort of crop up throughout the the time that you're out there.
2: Wow. Yes. So you know, back, I'm going to, I'm going to throw that question back to you again. What is it that makes you want to go towards that to conquer your demons rather than draw back from it? You know, is it just been an evolution as you've matured that you, you, you've decided that it's time, or is this just an innate curiosity that you have that you just want to keep going towards these edges of yours?
0: Yeah, I think it's just, it's a sense of accomplishment. Like I, 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 I find that, uh, the first, you know, 20 to 30 Ks of an ultra are pretty pleasant, but then mm-hmm. after that, it's just, there's just a, a time that you're in a constant state of pain and it's about how you feel.
1: <laughs> hey, guess what? That's the same thing for a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The first 25 yes. or 30 K is great. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: So maybe you should do a marathon. I'm just saying.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's that type two fun, right? Where it it's, is, you know, there's yeah. a time where it's not pleasant. But once you're done, you can just, you know, it's a total sense of accomplishment yeah. and a sense of... I don't, want to, I don't want to get too dramatic about it, but about being alive, like a be, about, you know, sort of conquering something that was supremely difficult. And yeah, like to to know that there was times that you wanted to quit, but you still persevered. And, and to, you know, this crosses over into some of my other pursuits as well that maybe we'll talk about. But just that, yeah, that feeling... Of uh, being alive and just having accomplished something and, and that was that was difficult for whatever reason, so whether it was a physical or a mental challenge like yeah it's super important to me
2: well we're definitely going to get into the crossover there that's a big part of what I want to talk about as we alluded to in our intro but um you talk about how, yes, running is a metaphor for a lot of things in life and, and doing hard things and, and that feeling of accomplishment. So why don't you give us, before we dive into um, some of your unique experiences with running, just give us a bit of some of the running highlights. Like what are some of the things that you've done? You know, you, you have gone longer and longer. You've also done multiple races, you know, in a series. Tell us some of the things that stand out to you in your running career.
0: I, I sort of joke uh, that I'm a low performance athlete. Like I I I get into I got into these ultra running races and different things, but like you know, I'll also I don't pay attention to what I eat or you know, I don't necessarily train the best all the time. So, you know, if I can finish in the top half of any of these races, I'm usually pretty happy. So, a lot of the time I'm chasing the I'm chasing the time cutoffs like, you know, I'm, I'm uh, certainly not uh, on the podium for the most part, but uh, I guess I've had a few accomplishments. So I've I've done a couple hundred mile races that I was successful at, uh, but it's the hundred mile distance that I've also had my DNFs at. <laughs> so I've been pretty successful in in anything up to, to that distance. So the Sinister Seven uh, was one I was very proud of. Uh, the Lost Soul 100 mile uh, that I've done as well. And uh, the longest distance that I ever ran was the 20th anniversary of the Lost Soul Ultra. They, For one time only, they did a 200 kilometer version of the race with a 36 hour cutoff. I, it was a stretch goal. I, like, I, I put in for this thinking this is going to be one of the hardest things that I've ever run.
2: That's a tight cutoff for 200K.
0: Yeah, because the hundred mile cutoff is thirty three hours, so they give you three extra hours for the you know the extra forty k was
2: forty k. Yeah,
0: so and when I was successful at the last whole hundred mile, it was uh, I want to say it was thirty hours and fifty minutes or fifty nine minutes, like thirty one hours or something. So, so I knew that this would be a huge challenge, and it was really funny because the morning of the race, as I'm getting stuff ready in the hotel room, my wife reminds me as uh, something that I actually didn't notice in the race information that there was a time cut off at the hundred mile for the race of 28 hours. Oh, so if you couldn't do the first hundred miles in 28 hours, they wouldn't let you continue on the 200 K.
2: That's a, a minor
0: detail. And so, so, so my thought when I heard this was, I can't believe I didn't see that for one and two was, well, I guess I'm running a hundred miles and that, and then I'm going to be done because I'm not going to make that right. Given that I had only run in say 31 hours previously. But, so yeah, that was, <laughs> that was a bit of a stretch. And, and funny is that 40 K into that race, I, I was pretty close to quitting. I actually had a bit of a, a like a foot issue that uh, had cropped up during training just a week, a few weeks before. And it sort of had cropped up. So at about 40K in, I'm sort of going through it in my head, like, oh, this hurts way too much. It's not just a muscle thing. It's an injury and I should really stop. And, oh, you know, it's it's really noble to volunteer. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm really happy to just quit and I'm going to spend the rest of my time volunteering and, and it'll be okay. And, you know, I gave it my shot and, you know, I can't help it because I'm injured, right? Oh, the whole conversation that goes on in a runner's head during these things. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny that, of course, Of course, like when I got into the aid station, my crew was just like, there you go. Off you go back on the course. And I'm like, well, okay, so I'll try another leg of whatever it was, six or eight K to the next aid station. And by then, whatever foot thing that was bothering me just disappeared, totally disappeared, like no rhyme or reason to it. And uh, I continued on. And uh, so 27 hours and 40 minutes later, I arrived at the 100 mile distance (laughs) and was somewhat cursing myself that now I have to put in another like eight to 10 hours to finish this thing. (laughs) And uh, sure enough. uh, Yeah. I I, uh, pushed on pretty hard, like a very uncomfortable pace for me to finish in 35 hours. So one hour short of the time cut off.
2: You blew it away. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Eight people finished the 200 K of the, say, I want to say 40 who registered and some 35 who started and a bunch that got cut off at that 100 miles. So I was the last. I was the last person on the 200 miles, but I finished it. And for that reason, I was pretty happy.
2: (laughs) Well, you know what? (laughs) Simply attempting a 200 mile race is something very, very sorry. 200 kilometer race is something very few people do. So Mm -hmm. congratulations on that. Now, Is this the race that you had your spring energy electrolyte mix up during or was that a different race?
0: Oh, no. Okay, so is this something a story you perhaps were told or heard? I
2: heard a story about you and we have to we have to keep this light for a moment. I, a little birdie told me you once took a spring energy electrolyte. So spring, anybody that knows this, yeah. the electrolyte comes seriously concentrated, but in a liquid form, like in a gel pack. But you're supposed to put it in your bottle and dilute it with loads of water. Tell us, Christian, what happens when you just shoot it straight back without diluting it?
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. So that was a good one. The Black Canyon race in Arizona, it's 100K race uh every february i want to say yeah february so i had not used the spring energy that you spoke of uh before so thinking like it comes in a little gel pack so i was like oh it's like a gel like you know so i had these things and i had packed them and uh yeah i was pretty late in the race it was kind of nighttime, and uh, finally i tapped into my spring energy that i had brought and guess what it was really liquidy which should have been a clue that you know it wasn't a gel, and uh, so yeah, I just sort of drank this thing, and yeah, sure enough, I just yeah, it, it didn't go over well. <laughs> yeah, I was feeling <laughs> not feeling very good on on the trail. I sort I had this sort of intense desire to to sort of just like sit down on the side of the trail and. and I've uh, told
2: you, acted a little bit drunk, like you were just yeah. completely not yourself.
0: Yeah yeah as a sort of No, uh, the reason i wanted to sit down is because i was kind of stumbling around and just like yeah, yeah it, was, it was not a who
2: good knew that, you know hyper concentrated electrolytes <laughs> will do that to you
0: yeah and actually yeah so that, that was the time i punched a cactus too so oh, yeah it's it's dang. uh well you know i mean you swing your arms back and forth when you run and uh, there's cacti on the other side of the trail and it's a single track and yeah sure enough i was sort of in that state and Stumbling a little bit left and right on the trail and got a little bit too far to the right and swung my arm into a cactus and got a few needles. But who else can say they punched a cactus in the middle of the night (laughs) because they were (laughs) drunk on spring energy?
2: (laughs) 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 Oh, these are the things that you'll be able to tell people for generations. (laughs) All right, Christian. So you uh, you're a person with a lot of energy. You're a very busy person with a variety of interests. So why don't you just give us you know a, a bit of an idea of some of the other things that you like to do besides running?
0: Sure. So the main other thing I guess that I'm involved with is being an explorer. Primarily, that has involved exploring some of the longest and deepest caves in Canada. And some caves on glaciated volcanoes uh, in the Pacific Northwest United States and in British Columbia. So these are called glaciovolcanic caves, and they're, they're quite an interesting thing formed by volcanic gas and steam in glaciers uh, within volcano craters and and so forth. So this is a pretty interesting and niche (laughs) uh, area of human exploration, Uh, but then the more traditional sort of limestone caves. So the deepest and longest caves in Canada involved in those uh, projects to explore those. So um, these are very physically demanding events that I involve myself in. So, um, and just, we were talking Prior to getting the recording started about how just yesterday, I emerged after nine days underground in the deepest cave in all of Canada. So it was our latest expedition. We hadn't been there for two years and uh, postponed due to the pandemic. Finally, we sort of reorganized to be able to go back. And uh, Canada's deepest cave is now slightly deeper and longer than uh, as we have previously explored. So um, yeah, these are things that uh, definitely take a lot of endurance as well. And so the ultra running is just one thing that sort of helps me in some of the other things. <laughs> that, that I might pursue so yeah I, I mean there's a lot of people who probably dedicate themselves fully to one thing but uh, certainly yeah as you said uh, diverse interests and and uh, if I could say a main interest that's that's one of the other main interests is, is to uh, be an explorer and to go to these places uh, underground that that nobody has ever been to before. Uh, and so it's that exploration caving that where we're actually exploring unexplored caves or unexplored passages underground.
2: That's fascinating. So what's the name of this cave you just came out of, the b- deepest cave in Canada?
0: It's called Bizarro Anima. It's north of Fernie, British Columbia.
2: Okay. So I was joking with Carolyn before we started recording. I'm like, he's literally just come out of his proverbial man cave to <laughs> <laughs> on our podcast except that that's kind of stereotypical so <laughs> anyways um so christian like you mentioned running you know is an endurance activity caving is an endurance activity how do you, you know since this is a running podcast how does running fit in with it all like how do you prioritize your time and or your energy and how do you merge how do you merge all your interests <laughs> into your life
0: yeah and it's funny because i i think Perhaps I, I don't do it that well because, because I'm, I, I, sometimes I'm spread too thin, right? Where I, I've sort of got too many things on the go and I can't dedicate enough uh, you know, time to say ultra running or to caving itself or to the other pursuits that I might have. So it, it's, it is hard to balance that. But on the flip side, I would say that having diverse interests is actually you try to find ones that are mutually beneficial, right, where, where one thing can help in some of the other things, right? And so, so I think there's an advantage to cross-training, uh, but also in terms of cross-training, in terms of not physical Efforts but also mental efforts, so you know things like uh, being underground for days at a time is a uh, taxing mentally, right as far as the endurance and as, as far as the conditions that you're in uh, like for example in, in the cave we're we're literally living in a refrigerator it's two degrees uh, Celsius uh you're constantly wet and covered in mud, and there's just there's just no like there's no break from that like you can't just go home and wash wash up like you're just in that for days at a time. So to kind of go through that and then to go into an ultra running race where the weather turns bad. You can sort of benefit from having those experiences in other parts of your life that can help you through tough times in similar experiences. So I think that's one of the advantages of it. There's a book called Range by David Epstein, Mm, and he sort of talks about that, of how having those similar like experiences that you can sort of laterally apply to other experiences Mm -hmm. and extrapolate from. Uh, And that provides you with a lot of resilience to be able to weather the storm, so to speak. So I think there's there's ultra running benefits the adventuring and adventuring benefits the ultra running.
1: That's exactly what I was going to say. Like you must have brought I'm not sure which one you did first, <laughs> like which which love <laughs> you discovered first. But I can totally see how one kind of bolsters the other in that, you know, when you've been in a cave for nine days presumably in the dark like this might be naive but isn't it dark in a cave um <laughs> yeah. then when you get into the ultra marathon and you're at kilometer you know 150 of a 200 kilometer event uh like you know that you can do hard things and you can get it done right and vice versa i would imagine so do, is yep. it, that's sort of what you were saying all along but i can't help but you know you were talking about at Lost Souls in the 200K, like you had the foot thing. And then all of a sudden yeah. you didn't have the foot thing and, and you didn't think you could finish. And then all of a sudden you finished. And I just wonder if in both of these disciplines, there's this like, where the heck are my limits? And what's real and what isn't real? You know, like, is this foot pain real? Or like, was it real? But then it went away. Like, what was that all about? So talk to us about how your definition of limits has changed over the years in all of these hard things that you've pursued
0: right and I guess that what I've learned just and mostly through ultra running is always keep going on the next leg yeah right you get into an aim station and you're and you're just feeling like garbage and you just want to quit you know just give it that one more because that situation whatever you're mentally going through or even physically going through it may resolve, right? Yeah. So so I, I still don't have an explanation for the foot thing. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that was real or not, but... I do know that going out and continuing on the race uh, allowed me to finish the race, Mm -hmm. right? So so I think sometimes my kryptonite is to come into an aid station at the same time that I'm in one of those mental or physical lows, Mm -hmm. that if it happens when you're out on the trail and you have no choice but to at least walk it in or keep going, well, by the time you get to the point where you might quit, well, maybe it's resolved. (laughs) So the lesson I think has been that you, yeah, you should just keep going.
2: (laughs) Never quit sitting down.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, uh, obviously there can be physical limitations. Like you are truly injured. And that's the difference is to have the experience to know whether you're hurt or whether you're injured, because that's, you know, obviously there's a distinction to be made and to know that I think just comes with a lot of that experience and having that experience in different disciplines, not just running, uh, but when you're say in a cave and you're like trying to do technical rope work and like literally like you know, you don't want to fall because you might die or, you know, mm-hmm. you know, or if you twist your ankle or something, like there's no helicopter coming to rescue you. It'll be a quite an ordeal to get at least to the entrance or get any assistance.
2: It's weighing the relative risks. Yeah. 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 So, you know, caving, running, you're, you're also heavily involved with the Army Cadet Program as a uh, member of the Canadian Armed Forces. And so you recently did something where you, yet again, blended two of your passions together. So tell us about what you just did with the Canadian Army Run.
0: Sure. So, okay, this was an interesting experience uh, for me. The Canada Army Run is usually run in Ottawa as a live event. But like most events, they went virtual uh, over the last two years. And so they do the standard 5K, 10K and half marathon. Races, But doing a virtual event means you can sign up for multiple ones and you could race them over the week time span that they sort of give you. So this was kind of an opportunity, I think, for me, because one of the things you can do as part of Canada Army Run is not just to sign up and do your half marathon or whatever, but also to raise funds for uh, different causes like support our troops and soldier on Canada. So given that I had been training all summer for these ultra runs, uh, Sinister 7, Canadian Death Race, and Black Spur Ultra were my main three big races. So that was the summer, and then Canada Army Run falls in September. So I figured, okay, I'm going to benefit from all this ultra running training. I'm not going to run a fast half marathon. It's just not, not going to happen. I'm not going to be competitive. I wouldn't be necessarily happy like with that. Let's embrace the training that I've done for endurance. And let's try to raise as much money as possible. So I came up with the idea that I would run all of the challenge events of Canada Army Runs. So they have two challenge events. One's the Commander's Challenge, which is to combine the 5K and the half marathon. And the Ubique challenge, which is to combine the 5k and the 10k. So I would run all of those back to back while carrying a 40 pound sandbag on my shoulders. So the total distance would be 41 kilometers. And I, that I committed to running, knowing that it might devolve into a run walk sort of thing at the end. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I committed to running as much as possible and carrying the sandbag. And that this would be... A way to make it into an endurance event and also make it into a compelling thing that people might want to Mm -hmm. support Mm -hmm. and donate towards the cause. Um, So that was the project. So tell us about the cause. So yeah, Support Our Troops and Soldier On Canada. Uh, these are charities of the Canadian Forces uh, Morale and Welfare Services. And Soldier On in particular is um, a program that contributes to ill and injured members and veterans uh, that uh, provides them with sport and rec- recreational activities and opportunities. The The funds are used to, to put on programs for, for ill and injured uh, veterans and current members of Canadian forces so to be able to fundraise for that was a huge privilege and to tie that to the army run experience like you know they have the whole portal where the people can donate and that that sort of thing so so I had a profile set up and explained what my challenge my self-imposed challenge was and uh it ended up being very very successful so I got quite a few donations for for (laughs) putting myself through this which was really great
2: which was I will toot your own horn for you, over $5,000 for the Soldier On program. So that's pretty
1: awesome. So thank you to everybody that donated. That is pretty awesome. And when I first was kind of reading up on you to to get ready for this interview, for some reason, I thought that it was like, I'm going to go and do a marathon with the sandbag. I did not connect the dots that this was the commander's challenge and the Ubique challenge like combined so the 21.1 plus the five plus the five plus the 10 is that how you got so it was 41.1 is that what you did yeah Yeah. okay and christian actually did loops
2: in those distances back to his house if am i correct christian like you actually did a 21k loop and then a 5K loop and a 5K loop and a 10K loop.
0: Yeah, yeah, because like the yeah the way the race was structured and to sort yeah. of track the timings appropriately, you were supposed to run the distance, stop the clock, and then oh. start the next race. Um, and that was just through through Runkeeper, which was their their sort of automatic yeah. upload of the uh, race distance. I mean, Runkeeper said it was 41K. My Garmin said it was 42, and Strava says it was 43. Like, I'm, <laughs> yeah, <I'm>,
1: whatever. I, <laughs> Okay, well, that could be a whole other podcast on how data is not always completely accurate. But I love that you like... In the ultra
2: world, I was just going to say, in the
1: ultra world, it's always an ish. Yeah, yeah. There's never an exact (laughs) amount. So, yeah. Okay, so I want to dig into the nitty gritty of like what this actually looked like. So... For somebody that doesn't know what a sandbag is, like, let's just start there. Like what, how big is this thing? What shape is it? And how the heck did you carry a sandbag for 41 to 43 kilometers?
0: Sure. So I actually have, I'd call it a workout sandbag. Uh, So it's it's purposely made for fitness. I mean, people in different types of fitness boot camps and things will use them for, you know, uh, lifting and different other kinds of exercises. Right. So I'd say it's about a foot and a half long and about a foot wide and it's full of heavy sand. (laughs) The one I have is 40 pounds and it has about a two inch thick webbing strap on it that you can use to hold it.
1: It's like a sack of potatoes.
0: Yeah, it's like a sack of potatoes and you just sort of Do
2: you carry it like a baby? Do you put it on your back? Like how how did you carry it?
0: You just sort of put it on your shoulders and on okay. your neck, and then you hold it there and then you run. <laughs> and yeah. It's a totally different experience from from running. It was very challenging in a different way. So of course you get some some sort of you know foot fatigue and leg fatigue, but to have arm fatigue and neck fatigue and shoulder fatigue and finger fatigue Ah. from gripping the strap like these were new things for a run for me so that was a very interesting experience to have to to have that like sort of on your shoulder wearing down one shoulder and then switching to the other shoulder and then switching to the middle of your neck and then sort of by the end of it there was no comfortable position it's just shifting it a few millimeters left or right. I mean, it just all hurt. So,
1: And it would be cheating to like bring a backpack and stick it in the backpack.
0: Well, so this was, this was part of what I believed was the compelling fundraiser and why I wanted specifically to do it this way. A lot of people would probably say, yeah, put it in a backpack, put it in a weighted vest Mm -hmm. and just have it more comfortable That wasn't the point. The point was for it to be terrible and awkward and frustrating because it's an analog. Mm -hmm. It's an analog for the physical and mental challenges that veterans face. And so the whole point of it was to be, yeah, like it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be convenient in in a pack or just in a weighted vest.
1: Mm-hmm. And so what did you learn about yourself through the discomforts of this experience compared to the discomforts of a, quote, regular ultra or caving?
0: <laughs> well, I just, it, it, the difference I think was just in terms of the the physical pains were just were different, right? They're in different places. Like I think I had the mental resilience, obviously, to do that sort of thing, uh, but certainly to have the the sort of pain in different places. And and by the end, like my feet were pretty worn down. Like just having that extra weight and to run with it as opposed to walk with it. That was you know the impacts are are actually. Uh, I mean not being a uh, a scientist or anything to measure them like I just assume that they're they're much more than just a regular running stride and the impact that you would face
2: I can give you the stats on that
0: <laughs> oh it's, Excellent. it's
2: it's five to ten percent multiplication of each extra pound so with each <laughs> running stride you're lucky if you can keep it under five, like under 8%. So that 40 pounds in, in ground impact forces was closer to 400 pounds each time your foot hit the ground.
1: And there would be rotational forces too, right? So you have it on the right yeah. side. So that's like, you know, destabilizing you in that way. Mm-hmm. And you have to compensate. Like, were you sore in different yeah. places? Like compared to Afterwards. a typical, yeah, compared yeah. to a typical ultra, like where did you feel sore that you don't normally
0: yeah, so I'd say that the foot pain was way more intense by the end. Uh, and that luckily resolved uh, fairly quickly. So as soon as I could stop running and within the next day, it was sort of fine. The neck and shoulder pain was the part that lingered.
1: <laughs> I hope you have a good massage therapist. <laughs> <laughs> How was your skin? Like, did you chafe yeah. up there from the bag?
0: Bruise. Bruise. Not oh chafe. Yeah. Like Bruce. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it was just, there's a little bit of up and down motion with the sandbag uh, sort of, So there's an actual physical impact of it on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. And that's, that was sort of the, res, the, the result. Yeah.
2: So before we leave this, this topic, which is, mind-blowing what you did um i'm wondering like as we talk about those ground impact forces and how your feet felt how much training did you do with this sandbag did you give your body time to adjust to that
0: um, well, as I said that I spread myself thin, uh, sometimes, yeah, I just, you don't get as, as as much training as perhaps you would like. Uh, I mean, before I started the summer ultra season, I was doing a few weighted runs with a vest. Like I was mixing it up a little bit just to try to get used to the weight. But then I also was cognizant that this was very impactful. And so I didn't want to mess up my races over the summer. So I was trying to be very light during that sort of time frame that I was running death race and sinister seven and black spur. So once I was done black spur, which was towards the middle of August, then I started really training hard with the sandbag. So I had about a month to prepare for that. So I did a few runs where I built up the distance, but like an ultra run and the, the idea that can be destructive, right, where you might not train more than, say, a 50k training run or a 50 mile training run in your peak. And then you taper for, say, a 100k or 100 mile race. I applied the same strategy. So I only ran up to about 20 kilometers with the sandbag in training. And okay. that peak unfortunately came about a week before the actual event. <laughs> so, so I didn't really have much of a taper, but I at least had a bit of a buildup. And the buildup uh, I found was manageable, knowing that I that the full experience may end up being somewhat destructive, but I didn't want the training to be destructive. Like I didn't want to go into mm. it injured. And that seemed to work out okay you know, if I were to do it again and not have these competing interests of other ultras and and different things, perhaps I would have had a bit more time. I would have tapered and done a few more training runs, but it was enough to get the gist of the sandbag experience to know kind of how to hold it and to know that I would need to wear gloves because it was actually like it would cause blisters on my fingers or, you know, <laughs> things like that. So, so it was enough to learn enough tricks of the trade to sort of get through it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, To sort of mentally know that it, you know, it was, it was possible and that I could probably do it without like, you know, lifelong knee pain or, or, you know, Mm -hmm. things like Mm -hmm. that. That was sort of the, the idea of it and to, yeah. And to not go into it having overtrained.
1: Yeah. Well, that makes sense to my marathon coach brain Mm -hmm. actually, because like you don't run the marathon in training for the marathon, right? So why would you carry the sandbag for 42 or 43 kilometers? Like that? that's just not smart. Like you need to carry it enough that you're prepared, but not so much that, you know, you're going to the well or you're going into that injury state before the, the race actually ever happens. <laughs> but um, yeah. I just wanted to sort of, like you mentioned that part of the reason that you wouldn't carry the sandbag in the backpack is because the soldiers, like they don't get that option, right? Yeah. Like when they come back and they're injured, and this is the whole point of, of kind of the effort in the first place of doing this fundraiser, right? And so I guess my question is, did you achieve what you hope to achieve? Like, I know you you raised the money, you raised $5,000. That is amazing. Do you feel like the mission you set out to accomplish in creating this awareness was successful?
0: Yeah, I think so. The idea was to, to raise funds, and as I last checked, I was the top fundraiser in the Army Run, the entire Canada Army Run, which had about ten thousand participants this year. Um, so, in that sense, yeah, I'm quite. I mean, I'm quite happy with that result. Uh, And I'm quite happy that I accomplished it. And I'm really happy that I had a lot of supporting people as well. So Mm -hmm. I had a few friends that ran parts of the run with me and another friend who actually ran the whole distance. And she started with a pack herself to try to, to, to be in solidarity with me. And, and she, um, she went uh, a good portion of it before deciding that uh, she would, well, she would prioritize just running the rest of the race. So um, Tamara, thank you so much for, for your run uh, mm-hmm. with me and and the others uh, friends that sort of were supportive and helpful. And my wife as well, who came with me. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I mean, it was just a, it was a good experience. I, I would do something like that again. Mm-hmm. I would say that the sandbag thing was <laughs> it it was very it was hard it was hard enough that I don't necessarily think I would want to do that again. Uh, so, Fair enough. <laughs> so so in that sense, it was sort of yeah, check that one off um, the list. I'm happy with the results, and you know I'll find another challenge. So that's one of the things I'm um, if if you noticed uh, that I dedicate myself to a few different causes, and what I try to do because I'm not I'm not running these things and finishing on the podium what i can do is try to use what little ability i have to benefit different causes or to benefit other things so when it comes to caving and exploration right there's a contribution you're making to our knowledge of the natural world or to citizen science when it comes to running you know these sort of events if i can raise funds or if i can combine these things to have some other benefit than just the physical challenge for myself personally, then I'll try to do that. So I've had a few different events where that's happened. And uh, one was called Challenge the Chief. It's the Firefighter Stair Climb in Calgary, where you climb what used to be the tallest building in Calgary. It's 234 meters, 58 stories. And there's an event every year that's for firefighters that you climb this 58 stories, and it's a race. It was 2018 that they started opening it up to civilians, but there was a catch. So in order to be a civilian and run the Firefighter Stair Climb Challenge, uh, the event was called Challenge the Chief. And you had to raise $10,000 in order to participate in Challenge the Chief. And you literally raced the Calgary Fire Chief.
2: (laughs) Awesome.
0: And he is one fit guy. Like in terms of leading by example, uh, in terms of stair climbing, like he can climb some stairs. <laughs> so, awesome. so yeah, that was the cause. As to so I trained for this, and you had to do it in full duty gear, in firefighter gear and a self-contained breathing apparatus, uh, while wearing wearing the gear. So, so yeah, that was the challenge, and, and that was a few years ago. And and yeah, I was able to raise eleven thousand dollars for Wellspring Calgary and the chief beat me by 28 seconds so oh my goodness I was close <laughs> sadly i did not i said did not beat him but uh, i you know it was a good result right so wow. so that was all about wellspring calgary and raising funds for for uh cancer research and and which, which for the firefighting community, is a huge concern, right? Uh, occupational cancer is a big, a big problem, and and it's claimed the lives of a lot of firefighters. Um, so, so that was a, a good cause. Um, so the the soldier on is another cause, and then uh, another one that's actually coming up.
2: Yeah, tell us about this one.
0: <laughs> yeah, so it's not a running event, but uh, sort of later in October, on October twenty fourth we're doing an event called Into the Summit for Mental Health. And this is actually our fourth time running this event. Uh, so we did a couple events called Reaching the Summit for Mental Health. And the last two have been Into the Summit for Mental Health. And the idea is, is we go uh, either on a mountain climb, or in this case, it's into a cave. And we are, all the participants are, are in a pledge-based fundraising drive. So you try to get Uh, pledges and support and raise funds to be a part of this this experience and the funds raised are for veterans and occupational stress injury programs. Mental health in the veteran community is is a huge concern right people who have had experiences overseas have different forms of post-traumatic stress or what we can call occupational stress injuries and there are lots of programs, non-traditional therapies, so things that don't maybe get funding from other other sort of causes. So these can be things like service dogs or equine therapies or things like the Outward Bound Veterans Program, right? That provides outdoor experiences for veterans who are suffering from mental health uh, concerns. So we're raising funds for those types of causes. And on October 24th, we're going into the summit and we are actually going on a caving expedition and all the participants are raising funds for this cause. It's a, you know an important cause for me because I recognize the need and uh, I've sort of been able to combine some of these passions with, like the cave exploration, the charitable work, the military aspect, mm-hmm. uh, all sort of have combined into one when it comes to Into the Summit. Mm-hmm. So um, that's really just truly what I believe is just leveraging those, those different passions and those strengths and combining them. We're excited to take all of these folks into the cave near Canmore called Rat's Nest Cave access uh, provided by canmore cave tours uh so you can actually book a tour and go on an experience in this cave but the into the summit event is a bit special because it's going to have a few of us uh, myself and a couple others who were part of the expeditions into canada's deepest cave uh who are are going to sort of tell some tales and and uh you know sort of uh Uh, give a different experience to the participants uh, to, to hear about some of the exploration that's happening.
2: And aren't many of the participants Army cadets?
0: Uh in the past events, yes, we don't have any cadets okay. uh, signed up for the current event.
2: Oh, but
0: okay. um yeah, so the the cadet program for young people of, of 12 to 19 years old, uh there's definitely some crossover with the other events uh that we've okay. had and okay. uh, so they've been participants as well. So and that's my job in the military. So I'm currently serving reserve officer and my trade in the military is as a cadet instructor. So I instruct in the expedition program. So we take cadets on to mountain biking and hiking and ice climbing and all those sort of sort of amazing experiences. And so we've actually taken cadets caving and doing other things like that as well.
1: Okay. So since you mentioned the army cadets and your work with them, We're just wondering what it is that you hope to pass on to them. Like these young people, uh, 12 to 19 years old, you said, uh, I'm sure they look up to you and you're bringing this wealth of experience and knowledge and uh, and you sound like a super fun guy and I bet you they really love you. So what is it that you hope to pass on to them?
0: I would say that it's it's not just about the what we call hard skills, right so the physical ability to go on a mountain bike or to go on a hike or to learn the skills to travel on a glacier. The most important thing is things like resilience and teamwork and leadership. Those are the skills that I really hope to pass on because seeing people do things like running with a sandbag or to go on an expedition that's pushing the limits of what we know about our natural world or those sort of things like to to be able to pass on the knowledge of what's involved in that, not just in terms of the skills to physically do it, but in terms of what, strategies are needed, what sort of planning might go into those activities, what happens when something goes wrong, like how do you deal with the challenges that might be face, the decision-making. Those are the things that I'd hope to pass on uh, through the program. Uh, and then when it comes to th- something like a, the like the Canada Army run and doing the Sandbag Challenge, like one of the goals of the program is physical fitness. Uh, but when you sort of have a meeting like once a week, or you... I mean, there's so many competing priorities for young people with school and, and different programs that they might be involved with, right? To, to have... Fitness as part of the culture so that it's sort of ingrained uh, is one of the challenges when you are essentially doing something like that part time. So to to sort of show that things that you think are a little bit crazy, perhaps can can be achieved.
1: Well, you sort of opened this podcast by saying that's almost what you're running towards in your own journey, like with running and, and the caving. It's that unknown. It's that what if, like what's going to happen and the, the uncertainty in a way that y- you actually enjoy about the long ultras. So I can only imagine that watching someone else that you are mentoring kind of go through that same process and, and make those same discoveries for themselves uh, has got to be
0: pretty rewarding. For sure. And, you know, it's sometimes it's, you You might have a group of young people only for a short time, uh, but sometimes to see them grow as they've been in the program for a few years, right? And just to see the change that might happen in terms of their confidence, mm-hmm. that's that's the huge yeah. reward yeah. that comes from that. And yeah, sometimes you don't see it right away, but sometimes you see it over time. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Well, you know, you talk about watching the, the firefighter chief lead by example. And that's exactly what you're doing with, with your army cadets. You know, you're teaching these things simply by doing what you do and, and being who you are. And that goes a long way. You know, you mentioned that you have a, the, into the summit coming up. Do you have any other adventures coming up um, in the next little while that you'd like to tell us about?
0: Yeah. This weekend, I have the Grizzly Ultra, the same race that started my ultra running journey. I'm running that on Saturday. It's the 50k again. So provided I'm successful, that would be my 30th successful ultra run.
2: You know, you are the epitome of somebody that probably goes to work to get a break. (laughs) Your weekends and your vacations sound truly exhausting, but very inspiring, too. All right. So let's move into, before we close our podcast, let's
1: move into our rapid fire questions. What do you think, Carolyn? Sounds good. We'll hit you up with five quick rapid fire questions to close this very fascinating interview. (laughs) Okay. First one is, do you have a favorite mantra? This could be when you're running or when you're doing any of the numerous difficult things you like to do in your life. Yeah. Not necessarily
0: related to running. And as you said, maybe that applies to all things. The mantra is put yourself in the place of greatest potential.
2: Ooh, mic
0: drop. So yeah, that's good guidance for decision-making on what you might want to do if you have competing priorities or to pick the right thing that, that maybe is outside of your comfort zone, but the reward could be there. Mm -hmm. Right. So so sometimes that means, um, yeah, just stepping out of your comfort zone and, being able to realize something that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise if you didn't stretch.
1: So if you let that mantra guide your life, you would probably never choose scrolling aimlessly on Instagram for one hour.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The potential there might not be huge. Yeah. Okay. Number two question is what is your favorite place to run?
0: Well, I'm so lucky to be in Calgary and be so close to the mountains so definitely anywhere west of Calgary. So there's some areas like uh, the Brad Creek area with some great trails and anywhere around Canmore. And the Crowsnest Pass, which is the host uh, area of Sinister Seven. I mean, I'm drawn to that race as a relay runner and as a soloist.
1: Okay. Are there still any races on your bucket list?
0: Yes. Every year I try to run that one qualifier for Western Mm -hmm. States Mm -hmm. and try to knock that one off so that I can get in that lottery and get into Western States. So that would be the the bucket list one that I'd have of, of any of the others. I've also toyed with the idea of some of the 200 milers, like the Moab series and Bigfoot and those ones in the United States which I'd I'd say to get one of those, like I did the 200K and it just seems like, well, why not 200 miles? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Let's give it a shot.
2: I think it would be so cool to experience that race, but as a volunteer. So I've already (laughs) offered to crew Christian if he ever goes and does a 200 miler, I think that would be a pretty cool way to see the race.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
2: Okay, Christian, do you have a favorite running book or movie
0: i mean i already mentioned range i thought that was a really good book to show necessarily that like you don't have to be an early starter or you don't have to be totally committed to this one pursuit to be good uh and i think i've tried to show that that you you can you can sort of have competing priorities that are also mutually beneficial Mm -hmm. Um, so that i think in terms of not necessarily running specific that one was was really good I'm an introvert, so there's a book called Quiet.
1: Susan Cain.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, so that one really spoke to me as well. Now, when it comes to running, uh, I'd say the one that I think was, was most beneficial was called Relentless Forward Progress. Oh, yes. Mm. And so, not only because there were some race plans and training plans and those sort of things, and a lot of different advice for running ultras, and that's sort of that mantra of just you know one one foot mm. forward like keep just keep moving forward right that's as i mentioned that's that's one of the things that's kept me in these some of these runs when you're sort of trying to negotiate uh, a negative space mentally, yep, yeah. yep.
1: Yeah. Okay. Final question. Do you have a favorite post-run indulgence?
0: Yes. Uh, As I said, I'm a low performance athlete, which means that I'll run an endurance event, but then I'll crush like three Big Macs.
1: Um, (laughs) I don't think that's that's probably uh, too unusual. for. I've heard they like a lot of salt afterwards. Like give me the fat and the salt. I've had it with the sugar.
0: Yeah, so so I mean I think it's any kind of burger, like it has to be, yeah, it's just the greasiest, like worst fast food kind of burger that you can come up with.
2: Yeah, like Carolyn said, that's not unique, but we can understand it for sure. All right Christian well, this has been an interesting one We have not had anybody who's a caver on this podcast as well as a runner so I'm sure that our listeners learned uh, a little bit of um, about a new new thing today and uh, thank you for sharing with us your you know your passion for for service and for community and for awareness of certain causes and um, thank you for doing what you do because not everybody you know, actions on some of these things. So thanks for sharing your story and coming on our podcast.
0: Thank you. Again, thanks for the opportunity. And uh, yeah, as I I said, I I think there's ways that everyone can contribute. Uh, Like you don't have to be the podium finisher, like, uh, you know, just find your passions and find ways that they can be mutually beneficial would be my Love it. That's
2: awesome. And I need to ask you, Christian, where can people connect with you and find you and potentially support some of your causes?
0: So, yeah, the current project is Into the Summit for Mental Health, and you could go to intothesummit.ca. And there you'll find all the information about the event. You'll find all of the participants. Uh, So we're accepting donations uh, for that. So, I mean, I have a profile up as as the organizer and as a participant. I'm contributing to fundraising myself as well um, for that. Or you can donate to just to the cause itself uh, through that uh, website. So intothesummit.ca is the project. And yeah, we'd appreciate any support that we can get for that.
1: Perfect. We will put that link in our show notes. Thank you. All right. Thanks for joining us, Christian. Thank you.